The following sermon is by Manny Alanese, pastor at St. Stephen's Chapel in Northwest San Antonio, Texas. For more information, for prayer, or to support us financially, please visit our website at ststephenschapel.org or call us at 210-241-5969. Throughout the ages, scandals of adultery and infidelity have long captured our attention and our imaginations, the imagination of humanity, bringing shame, disgrace, even tragedy to those involved. An example of this is seen in the novel of Anna Karenina, Karenina, Anna Karenina uh, is a novel written by the, Ush, uh, the Russian writer Leo Tolstoy. The novel, this novel, the story of Anna Karenina, tells us about a young woman, a young, beautiful, aristocrat woman married to a man named Alexander Kareen, a high-ranking government official. Now, despite this seemingly perfect life of Anna Karenina, she feels, an increasing, she feels increasingly trapped and unfulfilled in her marriage. She eventually meets a military officer and has an adulterous affair with this officer. Anna Karenina becomes pregnant with this officer's child. But ultimately, Anna chooses to abandon her marriage. She leaves her husband. She abandons her son. Anna's social life crumbles in the face of being ostracized and condemned by those around her. Now, as the novel progresses, Anna's mental and emotional state starts to deteriorate under the stress of this affair and under the stress of the societal pressure and societal rejection. She becomes increasingly paranoid and isolated. Ultimately, she starts, it, 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 it descends into depression and despair. Now, the novel reaches its climax when Anna, when Anna makes the decision to end her life by throwing herself under a train. I don't know if any of you have read that novel before. It's been popular throughout the ages. It is a novel that reflects a tragic story of, of Anna Karenina, who, who is confronted with the things that we're confronted with. We're confronted with the complexities 
of love and lust, of fidelity or infidelity, and the consequences of these actions. These are timeless themes that echo and that have echoed throughout human history. Timeless themes. Our passage today in the story of Gomer, which we just had read, the wife of Hosea, also involves these timeless themes which resulted in the betrayal and results in abandonment. The story of Anna Karenia and Gomer invite us to ponder, ponder the complexity of human relationships and the consequences of our choices, the choices that we make. We also ponder the, the, the transformative power of love and forgiveness. As we delve into the, the text, we dig deeper into and we explore the light and the light that is shed upon the struggle of being faithful, not just faithful with one another, but faithful to the Lord God Almighty. Our need when it comes to being faithful, brings forth our need for divine grace and redemption. That's the story of the gospel, the story of the gospel. You see, the relationship between God and his people is a love story. Think about that for a second. The relationship that the Lord God Almighty has with his people is a divine love story. In the book of Hosea, Gomer, uh, Gomer symbolizes unfaithfulness, the unfaithfulness of people, the nation of Israel. Despite being married to the prophet Hosea, Gomer engages in extramarital affairs plural, extramarital affairs, mirror the, what, what's going on. It is mirroring what the nation of Israel is doing with God and their relationship with God, the Lord God Almighty. Yet even in the face of Gomer's betrayal, Hosea demonstrates God's enduring love for his spouse. God's enduring love for her spouse. God's enduring love and forgiveness. By pursuing her, Hosea pursues Gober in spite of, the, of her infidelity. <clears throat> we kind of touched on this last week. As we turn to the passage, I need to remind everybody what we spoke about last week, so it kind of puts everything in perspective, okay? What, what what we're doing is we're, we're, we're in the book of Hosea, and Hosea is a prophet from God, sent by God about 800 years before the birth of Jesus. Hosea prophesizes to the northern kingdom, okay? The northern kingdom, okay, so if you can picture the nation, 
of the Jews, God's people. If you picture them, well, there, there were 12 tribes in the nation of, of Israel. The northern 10 tribes separated from the, the, from the southern two tribes. The northern, king, uh, northern 10 tribes were called Israel. The southern two were called Judah. Okay. So the prophet Hosea is prophesying. He's, he's given this prophecy to the northern kingdom. The northern kingdom. Now, just to give you more information about this prophet, and this is important because you need to realize what's going on and who he is. But Hosea is a contemporary with the prophet Isaiah, the prophet uh, Amos, and the prophet Micah. A, a, a contemporary means that we're all prophesying against the people of God during at the same time. As we continue, we see that the nation of Israel at that time, now imagine this. Now, this is what the, the prophet Hosea is prophesying. He, he, we just read what he prophesied. And we just read about the adulterous affairs that, that Gomer, his wife, is having. But this is, this, is, it, this is done ahead of time. Hosea is prophesying to a people that are prospering. They're prospering. In all that they have and all that they do, they're prospering. They're living a life of pleasure. They're living in an age of materialism, meaning they have an abundance of everything. Religion and religious beliefs are shallow, are secondary. Oh, yeah, by the way, we need to go to church type stuff. Oh, by the way, we need to go check this box to make sure we go to heaven. Does that seem familiar? That's shallow. It's secondary. It's an afterthought. That's what's going on in the nation. 800 years before the birth of Jesus. Does that sound familiar? Even at this very moment. Are we living in a nation of materialism? In a nation where, where that's prospering? The U.S., the United States, is the most prosperous nation in the world. Religion in our country is, a, is an afterthought. In fact, if we could do away with it, it would be great. That's the thinking of some people. In our passage, the people, the people of the so-called people of God have become unfaithful to God, unfaithful to God, even though God has blessed them materially and he has blessed them spiritually. They are going, they are kingdom bound. <coughs> Excuse me. But they have begun to live for themselves. They are living for their own glory. They have turned away from God and living for themselves. Again, does that sound familiar? It does, right? It has to sound like today. That's going on right now. That's going on with people you and I know. That's how they're living their life. And sometimes we'll look at them and we'll go, golly, they're prospering so much. Pastor Manny, they're doing so well. They got all this stuff. They got to be doing something right. Surely God is prospering them. That's what's going on in the time of Hosea. That's what's happening. By the way, the name Hosea means salvation. The name Hosea means salvation. 
and to gain a better understanding of, of, of Hosea, of this book, and the story that it's telling us, we need to know that the name Hosea, in Hebrew, the name Hosea can also be spelled with an H uh, after the S. You can put an H there, it's the same thing. Hosea with an H, uh, we'll, spell, we'll spell Hosea, or Joshua. Okay, so now you have Hosea, which means salvation, can also be spelled with an H, and can also be translated as Joshua. Well, guess what the, the name Joshua translates in the Greek, in the New Testament Greek? The name Joshua translates to the name, you guessed it, Jesus. Jesus. Ah, Jesus, our salvation. So what does that mean? What is that telling us? It's telling us that Hosea is symbolic for Christ, it's symbolic for God. And guess who Gomer is symbolic for? Guess who? The people of God. That would be, for us, in New Testament time, the church. The church. The prophet Hosea represents Jesus. Gomer represents us. Yes, this book depicts, depicts us as Gomer, a harlot. And we read it last week. In verse 2, it talks about her being in whoredom three times, and in the Hebrew, four times. Gomer. Joshua's wife is named Gomer. Gomer is a harlot. She is an adulteress. She pursues other lovers, as our text tells us. What that is telling us is that she pursues other false, she pursues false gods. She pursues idols. Oh, what's, what does that mean? Well, she's not happy with what she's got. She wants to go somewhere else. Something looks better somewhere else. What's that saying? The grass is always greener on the other side. What does that mean? Grass is always greener on the other side. It means that somebody else's yard looks better than ours. It's always that way. We always have weeds. We always have weeds in our, but anyway. So that, that's, what, that's what she sees. So what does she do? She pursues other lovers. She commits spiritual adultery. We got, we got really into that last week. We talked about that in depth. We also spoke last week of, of Gomer, Joshua's wife, Gomer, having three children. You recall that? You recall that because you read it. Okay, so we recall it. One of them was uh, um, Jezreel. Now, Jezreel is her firstborn. And she, she conceives and gives birth to him, meaning to, uh, to uh, Hosea. She gives birth to, to Hosea, she gives Hosea a son name, and they name him. God says, you name him Jezreel, which means scattered. Now remember, this is all taking place before the northern kingdom. He is prophesying to the northern kingdom. And it's taking place before the northern kingdom is invaded by the, uh, the, the, the Assyrians. The Assyrians come in, invade the northern kingdom, and scatter everybody to all over the world at that time. And we talked about last week, whatever happened to the northern kingdom, they scattered. They went into the world. 
It, it, it went away. The southern kingdom stayed. Some of them went to the southern kingdom. Okay, so that was her firstborn. Born, born to Hosea. The second born was Loramhami, Lo Ram, Lo Lo which means she has, uh, she has not received mercy. God directs Hosea to name the child Loharami, which means she is not, no, she has not received mercy. That's what it translates to. And then she conceives and has a son, a third child. Loami, Loami, that means not my people. God is sending a message. He's sending a message to them. This is what you're doing. This is what I'm calling you. Stop doing what you're doing. Now, it is believed that the last two children that Hosea births do not uh, that uh, I'm sorry, Gomer births do not belong to Hosea. They belong to someone else. And we read that in the text. The way the text is translated to English, it's a little hard to, to, to read, but the first child, she, she conceives and bears uh, Hosea, a son. But for the next two, it doesn't say that. It just says she conceives and bears. That's an indication that those two children do not belong to Hosea. What does that tell you? She's a harlot. She's pursued other lovers. Even in the time that she's married to Hosea. We also know she's a prostitute because she is going out, as the passage says, and and giving herself to the best lover who has the best, the most money, who can give her the most things. That is tough stuff. This is like this is really tough because I just got to tell you, she's us. That's us. God is describing us, His people. That means for us, His church. And it's getting very graphic in the details that it's giving us. We don't even want to face it. This is not an easy book for us not to study. It's too much, Pastor Manny. Let's do something else. Let's go study something else. Because we got to look in the mirror and face ourselves. Oh, I'm not as bad as Gomer, Pastor Manny. It's not, that's not, that's not me. I'm not that bad. You're not. We're not, I'm not. So now as we continue to shift our focus to this chapter, chapter two, the focus shifts from the children and, and is now focused on the mother, the mother, Gomer. And it starts off, plea with your mother, plea with your mother, plea with your mother. You can imagine what's going on. Hosea, what Hosea must have felt like when he came home, let's say, from a hard day's work, working at Damon Place, H-E-B, Buckner, wherever. Comes back from a hard day's work, comes into the house, and what's going on? The children are crying. They're, they're crying. They're, they're in the corners. They're terrified. They're crying. And Hosea finds out that Gomer has taken off. She has abandoned them. She's got off in pursuit of other lovers. 
passage is telling us that. That's what's going on. We're told in verse 5 that Gomer says, I will go after my lovers who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. She leaves. Gomer pursues worldly desires without regard for the consequence of her decision. Now, if you're the husband or if you're the spouse, and in whatever reverse order you want to make it, and you come home and all of a sudden, spouse is gone. The kids just leaves the kids crying. Doesn't matter. Pampers and wet and everything else. Terrified. Now, it's interesting to read the plea. The plea in verse 2. Plea with your mother. Plea, for she is not my wife, and I am not her husband. The plea could be better understood this way. It, it could be better understood as a plea, like a legal plea, 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 like in, in the courtroom setting. Make it a plea, a legal plea. Uh, other translations translate it that way. It says, plea my cause, and is she not my wife, and I'm not her husband. See, that's the cause, right? So she leaves, and you're making a plea. Hosea's making a plea. Is she not my wife? Am I not her husband? That's the plea that's taking place. Basically, this is the entire thrust of the book of Hosea. We see that in this book, God promises that he will not go back on his marriage vow. See, that's God, right? Humans do, his people do, even Christians. 50% of Christian marriages divorce, just like the world. But here we're finding out that God does not go back on his word. He does not go back on his promise. He does not go back on his marriage vow. Remember, God the bridegroom, the people of God the bride. That's the relationship that God, the intimacy of God's relationship with us. And so we go out, according to the Bible, according to God's Word, and we go after lovers, after someone else, after other gods, after idols. And God pursues us. You're going, I don't believe that. We're being told that right now. He pursues us. He goes after us. Now, the key here is, you have to know the true and living God. The other part is, you have to be a part of his bridegroom. I mean, he's the bridegroom. You have to be a part of the bride. You have to be a part of the people of God. In other words, for the church, you have to receive Christ as Lord and Savior. If you have not, then you're not, you don't have to, you don't have to worry. He's not pursuing you. God's not pursuing you. But if you have received Christ as your Lord and Savior, he's pursuing you. He's not going to let you go. Even when you stumble and fall, he's not going to release you. He's coming after you. He's coming. That's the thrust of this book. That's God's promise. His, God is calling his people to repentance. He pursues us, calling us to repent. Repent from our sins. Repent from worshiping false idols, false gods. Repent. Turn away and turn back to him. 
repent and quit committing spiritual adultery. Spiritual adultery. Now, how can we explain that? How do we explain God's love? Well, the grief that Hosea must have felt gives us the uh, gives us a glimpse because we can't get into the mind of God, but we can get glimpses of it because he tells us, he talks to us, he's talked to us here. We get a glimpse of the grief and the sorrow that God feels when his people turn away from him in unfaithfulness. Now, we, most of us, we, we live in an environment where everybody we deal with, everybody we know, everywhere we work, everywhere we go, everybody's unfaithful. No, nobody loves Jesus the way they should until you run across another Christian, a true Christian, who's committed to worshiping God, who's committed to serving him. So we, we, we tend to live in an envi two environments, right? We see true Christians who love God, who are committed, passionate about him, and we feel, we, we feel like we have a relationship with this person. We can meet them for the first time, and we have this like relationship with this person, knowing how they feel and, and, and being able to relate how they feel about God himself. But we also live in a, in a land where there is no faithfulness and they don't care. And so we kind of, we kind of lean toward them when we want to do something bad. That's the environment we live in. But we must know that you as a Christian, when we do that, we as a Christian, when we do that, God is, God is, we, 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 we bring sorrow to God. We grieve God. God's love is faithful love. God's love is faithful love. He is faithful. God weeps for his people. God yearns for his people and works for our deliverance. We see that throughout the Bible. In Jeremiah chapter 2, God says, I remember the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride, how you followed me in the wilderness, in the land not sown. In the New Testament, God, I mean, Jesus really brings it out, really brings the love of God out, God's faithfulness to his people. In, in uh, Luke chapter 19, verse 40, uh, 41, Jesus draws near and sees the city of Jerusalem, and he weeps over it. In Matthew chapter 23, it tells us what Jesus says when he's weeping over the city of Jerusalem. Listen to what he says. He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who have been sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Can you say that? Makes you quiver. Makes you quiver. When you realize who you're talking about. God grieves because his people forsake him. God cries out to, to Gomer. He's crying out to his people. 
the northern kingdom. They have forsaken him, and he, they're going to suffer the consequence of their actions. They're going to be conquered. He's going to allow them to be conquered. He wants them to repent. <coughs> they're going to, they're committing sin. God grieves. When you and I commit sin, he grieves. And that's why Paul says, Paul says in, in the New Testament, he tells us not to grieve God. He says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. He says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Have you, what, what is that? Um, do you know what it means to, to grieve the Holy Spirit? You do. You may not know it, but you do. How do you grieve the Holy Spirit? You sin. You bring sorrow to God. Like, like I, I'm like a, a, the worst critic of, 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 of this. I can be sitting out there and criticizing what I'm saying. I can be saying, oh, God is bigger than that. He ain't going to worry about me sinning against him. He's a big God. He's not going to worry about me sinning against him. He doesn't care. He just, man, he... That's not true. And if I buy that, if I believe that, I'm lying to myself. We are being told that when I, when I sin, when you sin, when we sin, we bring sorrow to God. We grieve the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine that relationship with the Almighty? That's the relationship you have. If we live our lives thinking, uh, I believe in Jesus, but I don't have to go to church. I don't have to be obedient. I know who he is. I'm doing my best. Hey, I am trying the best I can. He knows how hard I work. He knows that I've tried my best and I've had bad circumstances. That's a cop-out. That's a cop-out. You're still caught not to grieve the Holy Spirit. He will turn you over to your sinfulness, and he does. And to, as we look at verse 5, Gomer leaves Hosea for pleasure and material things. Oh, man, pleasure. That sounds good, pleasure. Golly, I like pleasure. Material things. You know what? I like material things. What's anything wrong with that? Anything wrong with liking pleasure and material things? No, there's not. Unless you turn away from the Almighty in pursuit of material things. And that's all you care about. That has become your idol. When that becomes your idol, you're sinning. You're grieving God. Go or pursues men. See, again, we go back to the passage, and it gets even more graphic. I'm trying to be graphic, just giving you examples. And it even gets more graphic when we get back into the passage. We want to go like, let's get out of the passage. It's too graphic. Gomer. Gomer pursues men who will provide for her all these luxurious things. It's like leaving somebody and going to a different level who's going to give you a car and a beautiful house, a mansion maybe, these fine furs, clothing, but whatever you like. What do you want? What do you want? What do you want? I'll get it for you. I got the money. 
But what happens when that money runs out? When the circumstances change? Or when that person gets tired of you being around? Well, then Gomer goes to the next good best thing. She goes to the next best thing. Then she goes to the person that's going to give her okay, an okay car. You know, it runs. It's a little used, but it's okay. And the fur was a little imitation first. Look, we went to the flea market, and it's one of those imitation Gucci, whatever. You know, that's I can get you that. I got the, I got the money. I, I I can do that. And I've rented a house. It's okay. I'm behind on the rent, but that's what she goes to next. And then that runs out. And then what does Gilmer do? She goes and finds somebody else that can take care of her. And this guy's a loser. This guy, he can't even provide for her. Now, he's a big talker, though. He'll talk a story. Tell her some lies. And you know she sees a lot of promise in him. But he can't provide her with nothing. He abuses and abuses, right? We know nobody like that, right? We know none of these stories. Man, he's making all this up. Huh. huh. Some, if not all of us, would give us, would, would reflect what Gomer's doing. We, we would rather reflect on what Gomer's doing than us. The Lord advises Gomer. Now, here's where it gets really interesting. This is, this is like a made-for-movie type deal, a big blockbuster. What does God do? After Gomer goes through all this, and she's in the pit, she, can't, she doesn't even have money. There's no food. And with the water, she has to go to the creek to the... To the creek and get it, or maybe to the runoff at the edge of the curb or something. She's a dire strait. But you know what? Gomer is God's bride. He she belongs to God. See, this is the example that God has given us in this passage. You know what God does to Hosea? He says, "Go get her. Go go provide for her. This is better." He he doesn't say go get her. He says, "Go provide for her. She's dying." She doesn't have enough to live. Go to the local H-E-B and buy her all the food she could want. Get her bottles of water. Go to, what, what's, the, what's the store? Give me a store, Dillard's or something. And buy her some clothing. And then find whoever she, who, whomever she's living with and give that stuff to her so he can give it to Gomer. That's what God commands Hosea to do. Isn't that? I, I'm, like, I'm bringing it to today's language, okay? But that, and if you read the passage, you'll see it. So Hosea has to go spend his hard-earned money, do all this stuff, and then he has to get on Google to find where this loser lives, and he finds this person, and he goes and knocks on the door. And this guy goes, hey, what do you want? What do you want? He goes, hey, listen, Gomer lives here, right? Yeah, yes, she lives here. So what? Well, can you give her all these things? And he gives her all this stuff. He gives this guy, this loser, all this stuff. And, and this guy's going like, what are you doing? 
Why are you doing this? You know what he says? He says, because I love her. And I can't see her doing without. That is God. And we are going. God's love is God is a God of faithfulness. Can you imagine the shame of how Hosea had to humble himself? God humbles himself to come after you. He doesn't let you go. He doesn't want you lacking for anything. Gomer, on the other hand, would simply believe that that loser gave all that stuff, right? Not looking to God, not thanking God, thanking loser, loser, false idol, adulterous lover. Thank you. I knew you loved me. That's what Gomer would say. God's love is faithful. Verse 8, verse 8 tells us that Gomer did not know that it was I, God, who gave her the grain and the wine and the oil and who lavished her with silver and gold, even the silver and gold that she used for Baal, the other false gods. See, God is a faithful God. But he's also a God of discipline. When he pursues you, he is going to discipline you. God is not mocked. God is not a pushover. God is God. So when he pursues us, when he goes after us, when we are in our, wherever we're at, and he goes after us in true love, he's going to discipline us. And that's what the passage is telling us. God disciplines the ones he loves. God's love is faithful. God's love, God disciplines what he loves. He is not mocked. So what he's having to do is discipline you so you can turn around and repent and come to him. The, there, there are three therefores in this chapter, and that's what they're about, the therefores. Therefore, I will hedge up her way with thorns. And I will build a wall around her so she so that she cannot find her path. How many times has that happened to us? We think we're going in the right direction. We're going against what everything God is saying. God pursues us and hedges are built around us. And there's thorns and we can't go this way. We can't go that way. We got to go this way. We got to go back. Therefore, verse 9. I will take back my grain in its time and my wine in its season, and I will take away her wool and her flax, which were, which were to cover her nakedness, sinfulness. Verses 14 and 15, bring it around. It says, therefore, I behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her vineyards and make the valley of Accor, the valley of trouble, a door to hope. God takes us through the valley of trouble. 
so we can see our only hope, and that hope is in him. That's how God brings us. That's God. That's God not giving up on us. That's God bringing us back to him. Isn't that what God does in our lives? For those who truly belong to the Lord God Almighty, he brings us back to him. He does not let us go. It's like the prodigal son, New Testament, Luke chapter 15. That let you go, let you start, let you starve, brings you back. And when you come back, what does he do? Runs up and hugs you, kisses you. Oh, that's too much. You don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. We don't deserve it. We don't deserve it. So what do you what do you need to hear when you when we read a passage like this? Well, you need to hear that God loves you. That's what you need to hear. The big question for us is how do we know God loves me? How do we know God loves you personally? How do, how, how do you know that God loves you? How do you know? How do you know? The cross. The cross died for you. He shed blood for you. God blood for you. Oh, he didn't shed it for me, Manny. Pastor Manny. Yes, he did. You're a sinner. You're a gomer. You're here. You're hearing this right now. And you know he's talking to you. And so how do you know he loves you? The cross, the cross, the blood. You know, taking valuable money and spending it on a worthless person, that's, I mean, isn't that symbolic here of God's love? God's love. We take God's love, we spurn it and we squander our resources that he blesses us with. But he still loves us. He still provides for us. Uh, I want to kind of close with uh, something that, that theologian Donald Gray Barnhouse wrote uh, about this passage. It's really kind of neat. I wanted you to hear it. He starts off by saying, "How can um, who can explain the sanity of true love? Who can explain the sanity of true love Meaning, who can explain God's love? And Barnhouse uh, writes, God is, no, he starts off by saying, love is God. And his love is infinite. He is, so, he is sovereign love apart from all reason. Love exists for its own reason. By the way, when you hear the word love, put God in there too. Love is not according to logic. Love is according to love. Hosea is playing the part of God as God plays, playing the part of God that God has played with you and me in our lives. God is willing Willingly, God willingly loves us and provides for us even when we run away from him. Even when you turn and curse him and run away from him, he pursues you. The pursuing love of God. Okay, the pursuing love of God is the greatest wonder in the, in the universe. I mean, there's no explaining it. 
This is one of the biggest problems I had when he first saved me. I didn't understand why he saved me. That just like I would ask pastors and priests and everybody I could ask, why? Why did he pursue me? There was nothing there. I knew it. And he knew it. And it's that love, the love. How do you answer? How do you respond to that? We leave God in the heat of our own self-desires and run from his will because we want so much to have our own way. We get to the crossroads and look back in pride as we run away from him thinking that we have distanced ourselves from God. And then all of a sudden we feel his, ha his, uh, his hand on our arms and we turn to him. We see that it is the Lord God Almighty who tells us, I love you. That's God's love. In Leo Tolstoy's novel, Anna reaches the point of ultimate des uh, desperation and frustration. Not knowing what else to do, she ends her life. See, the love that she was looking for is Jesus. The love that she was missing and searching for was Christ. My dear friends, the love that she is, was searching for is the love that we all need. And it can only be found in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the love of God. Have you felt his holy love upon you? God's love through the blood of Christ gives hope for the hopeless. Let us pray. Gracious Father, we do thank you for your love and thank you for these words, Lord God, as they penetrate. You've been listening to Manny Alanese, pastor at St. Stephen's Chapel. For more information about our church, visit our website at ststephenschapel.org or call us at 210-241-5969. Please join us prayerfully and financially as we seek to glorify God by preaching his word and spreading the gospel of grace in boldness and selflessness.